This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We are estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven women that are killing it in life. And they deserve to be celebrated. So on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and then in between those interview episodes, we'll be doing segments where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars. And we'll be chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and just learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun and we We have a super multicultural community and we kind of think that you might too. So why not talk all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Hell yes. Um, also, we'll be answering listener questions, so make sure to write to us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, so let's jump into the show. Bye. Hi, welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Welcome. Um, so there's been a lot that's going on this week, and this is a podcast that was supposed to come out on Friday, and um, the world just kind of erupted, at least our country erupted, and um, it just slowed everything down, but then it gave us a chance to sit back and kind of just speak to that a little bit and talk about what's how we're feeling about everything. Totally. I have so many feelings about, you know, the everything that's been happening. Essentially, we touched base on it a little bit two weeks ago, and um, I don't know, I think that people just kind of had enough in terms of, uh, God, how do you even like begin to reflect on this for like legacy sake? Like how do you tell, the, like historically, how do we talk about what's going on right now? Well, essentially, the police killed (laughs) one too many black people, and um, everybody got rightfully really upset, (laughs) everybody in our country. And for the last about five or six nights, there's there's been riots in all of the major cities across the country, and even in some smaller cities. And um, I like to believe that it's only about police brutality, but I know that it's not. I know that it's a lot of anger of, just a lot of anger. 
Yeah, it's the whole system, the whole yes. oppressive system. Yes, and um, yeah, I don't know. I. I guess I can speak on a personal note. My brother is a Marine and he's a vet, but he, when I called to check on him last week, he stopped running outside for his exercise because he didn't feel safe to. And not that it matters where he lives, but he lives in upstate New York. And that, I think, says a lot about just like where we are as a culture and that people who are citizens of this country are just afraid for their lives to do normal everyday activities because of the oppressive nature of our system. So I will say, this was like kind of a while back, but I, my friend and I went to our other friend's place. She picked me up. She drove me. And when she parked her car at her friend's place, we happened to park right by the precinct there. And later that night when we got back in her car, these two cops walked really close to the car and they were looking at us. And I was so nervous. We didn't do anything, clearly. There was no reason for me to be nervous. It, like, made my heart stop. I'm like, why are they looking at us? Why are they coming so close? Are they, like, coming to us? What's going on? And my friend was just like, imagine if we were black, how we'd feel. We feel like this now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. It's not a normal feeling to to be afraid of the police. And it's, it isn't comforting to hear you say that, but it's, I find the same thing happening. And I have my own privileges. Like, I'm not, I'm very well aware that I'm, you know, I have the privilege of being educated. I have the privilege of being a business owner. I have the privilege of, you know, being not being raised in the inner city. I have the privilege of being light-skinned, which is even more fucked up in, in, in and of itself. But I'm aware of all of those, but I still feel the same way when I'm standing, like, at the deli and a cop comes and stands next to me. And it's not a normal feeling, right? Like... I don't know. I think that's something that's really, um, one really positive thing that I'll say, and I've said this many times before to like friends and family, and it just didn't really mean so much before as it has now, is that I've felt very lucky to have a group of friends that are very multicultural, and I've been in situations where people have tried to not even, like, to, to be inherently racist, right? To come up to me when we're in a fitting room and ask where my, like, their clothes are, assuming that I worked at the store, and have my white friend look this white lady in the eye and say, what the fuck is wrong with you? She doesn't work here. Like, get out of here. And that's, like, I still get so teary-eyed thinking of that moment because, like, my parents never had that moment, you know? And it mm-hmm. says a lot about where we are today as a country and as a society, and I've had, like, incredible people reach out and say, like, if you don't feel comfortable marching like I will march for you like people that you know are white presenting or are white and I think that that's just says a lot about this new wave of civil rights I think that we are in the midst of right now is that it truly is all in from where I'm sitting anyway I totally agree it's sad but maybe this is the time finally like finally yeah I don't know I want to believe that's true I don't I don't know to some extent right because they thought this in the 60s and it got things went a certain direction but then they kind of halted and it's just been this thing of like but we are all equal right no we aren't Mm -hmm. you know totally well uh, I guess that we bring this up really because something else that a friend said to me was that we all have our role in the revolution and not everybody's role is to be on the ground. And that really meant a lot to me because 
I think that this is my role. I think my role is to, to tell stories and to be a pillar of our community and to reopen once we can reopen and be a black female business owner and just to continue to share all of our stories and just educate people because it's only you just have to keep talking to each other. That's the only way that you realize that we're all human. We're all the same. We all fear the same things. We all want the same things. And it doesn't matter your color, your religion, your sexual orientation, your sexual preference, your gender preference. Like Nothing matters. We just all want to be loved and feel safe. And that's it. And we all deserve that. So <laughs> not to change the subject, but I think we have such an incredible fucking woman <laughs> to come <laughs> back uh, to. And I'm really, really thrilled that she agreed to be on the show with us because I've honestly like been a fan of hers for uh, quite some time. I've loved her products for quite some time. And we, in we taped this interview uh, about a week and a half ago. So we were sort of, um, I guess, at the beginnings of the rumblings, but nothing was quite as crazy as it is now. So I think that this is a really excellent person to come and just share her story of badassery and resilience and of yes. building an empire. So excited. Our guest today is celebrity makeup artist and the founder of Lauren Napier Beauty, Lauren Napier. So let me play out a little scenario that I'm sure has happened to you before. You're going through your day as usual, using the same mediocre, everyday product that has always left you wanting more. Because you've never found another option, you continue to use it, all the while thinking, my god, it's 2020, hasn't anybody come up with a better solution for this yet? So you share this frustration with your friends, and as it turns out, they have the same problem. What do you do? Probably the same damn thing that most people do. Nothing. Well, not nothing, you'll probably continue to bitch and moan about it. Because what are New Yorkers if not complainers, right? Yeah. For real, though. For real, though. <laughs> like most great entrepreneurship journeys, Lauren Napier started with this exact breaking point. On a 13-hour flight from Dubai to New York, Lauren was horrified to see an expensive bag of makeup wipes completely dried out. In that moment, she took out a pen and began formulating her plan to innovate the old, classic, shitty, my words, not hers, makeup remover wipe. So normally I really don't like to copy pre-written um, bios of our guests, but I honestly just love the way that Lauren's reads, so I didn't change a thing. Lauren has worked with some of the world's most famous celebrities, including Academy Award winners, civil rights activists, Olympic gold medalists, indie film darlings, Billboard chart toppers, silver screen royalty, a Beatle, a Bond, and even an American president. Lauren is such an incredible woman. She takes us on her journey from growing up in Texas and having a pretty good idea of exactly who she wanted to be. And then she began to reverse engineer her life until it became her reality, her ideal life. <laughs> Lauren is such an incredible woman. She takes us on her journey from growing up in Texas and having a pretty good idea of exactly who she wanted to be and then began to reverse engineer her ideal life until it became her reality. I hesitate to use the adjective fearless to describe any person because, let's face it, we all have fears. But when you speak with Lauren, the woman has so much determination, conviction, grace, and grit. And it's really easy to assume that fear does not exist within her. These days, Lauren Napier Beauty has been featured in Vogue, Elle, W Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, Essence, In Style, Pop Sugar, and Refinery29. 
It can be found in small online international stores such as Revolve, Harvey Nichols, Net-A-Porter, and Colette Paris. Tiny shops. Tiny, tiny. <laughs> I've never even probably heard. never heard of them ever. <laughs> you guys, this girl and her products are everywhere. So, without further ado, here is our interview with the founder of Lauren Napier Beauty, Lauren Napier. Well, okay, so I'm gonna hear the story then. I was a fan of your products before I really like did research on you. I, I don't even know how I somehow stumbled upon your IG. You and then also Karen, whenever I see local girls like making beauty products, I'm like, I'll just buy it. So I bought it and I absolutely loved it. And then I was like, okay, let me dig around and see who this Laura Napier is. And then even when I was looking for um, a little bit of research for our conversation today, there's not too much about your background, like where mm -hmm. you kind of came from. I read a little bit about your entrepreneurial um, past with your family. Yeah. But if you don't mind taking us from the beginning. Sure. So if you don't mind, just tell us your name, what you do for a living, and then we'll go from there. My name is Lauren Napier, and I am the founder of Lauren Napier Beauty. So if you don't mind, just starting from the beginning with your story, and um, tell us where you were from. Where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. And I was raised in Texas. And I feel like both of those places really informed my perception and, and vision of what beauty is. Mm -hmm. Las Vegas is full of showgirls and it's glitzy and it's glamorous. Um, but it's also got a very desert Southwest, uh, West Coast vibe. Mm -hmm. It's where the Southwest and the West Coast intersects. And then Texas... Um, you know, I'm from South Texas. I grew up, uh, went to high school in San Antonio. So it has a huge traditional Mexican influence, but it's also got that Southern swing. Mm -hmm. It's got big hair, long nails, frosted lipstick. Um, <laughs> it's got Southern prim proper church ladies with wigs and hats and ironed and just, you know, completely put together. Right. And so where I picked up beauty is just little pieces from every bit of what I saw as a little girl growing up. And that really informed my, um, my feelings about, about what cosmetic beauty is. Right. Were the women in your life, were they also similar to what you were just describing? Like big hair, long nails, the frost lipstick, all of that? So my mom is a very beautiful woman. And when I was younger, she um, she did all different types of things. She wasn't afraid to change her look, but she also is such an effortless and natural beauty, especially when, when we were kids, you know, she was like the, the mom that all the like boys were like, Oh my God, your mom's so hot. But, um, <laughs> they would like come cut our grass and stuff. But, um, she, she tried different things. My mom had like a Claire Huxtable haircut. Uh -huh. She had a Anita Baker haircut. She had cute weave. I don't think she did braids. I can't, I don't think she did braids, but she definitely let us have braids. She had shaved her head um, and did, this was the era of like Dennis Rodman. And mm -hmm. so my mom, and this is San Antonio, okay, so this was the San Antonio Spurs. And I feel like he played for the Spurs, if I remember right. And he had dyed hair and she had dyed hair. So wow. she explored and lived and did whatever she wanted to. So it allowed me to, I think, really be fearless. And then in contrast, um, my grandmother 
was the most beautiful woman, especially as a young woman. She was like prom queen. She was the AKA. Wow. She was like the belle of the ball all the time, no matter where she went. And people just were like in love with her and enamored by her all the time. And so she was just a, like a very well put together, very stylish woman. And so she for sure is a natural beauty. Like my grandmother would just kind of powder her nose and put a little lipstick on, but she was a natural beauty. So I took a lot from those two women. Yeah, and then did your mom and your grandma, did they work outside of the house also? They did. My mom worked outside of, outside of the house. She worked for AT&T for, for most of my childhood and most of my teenage years. And then my grandmother was a school teacher and she also was a city councilwoman. Okay. So maybe you can start to see where I get my political leanings. Well, and also just, you know, black women growing up in Texas, especially a grandmother, to hear that she was so strong and so powerful, Obviously, you're very strong and powerful on your own, but uh, I'd like to just kind of see like where those, where that legacy comes from, right? Especially, like, I couldn't imagine your grandmother. I couldn't imagine anybody growing up in the South pre-ever. <laughs> pre-ever. <laughs> I'm a, a New Yorker through and through. I mean, my family's from New York City. I grew up in upstate New York, but to me, the South is so foreign. And all I have yeah. are like these images of, you know, what I grew up watching in Jim Crow South, I suppose. And I know that it isn't the same today, but we're seeing all this crazy shit happening down there regardless. So the idea of, you know, this beautiful black woman in South Texas with her hair and her nails and like kicking ass and city councilwoman, that's awesome. Well, okay, so let me just say this about Texas. like. And, and I don't know if it's Texas completely, but, or I don't know if it's the South completely, but my experience in Texas was probably unlike anyone else's mm -hmm. because um, my grandmother's parents were also pillars of the community that she lived in. They owned their own business. And like I said, they were pillars of the community. And so they had a reputation. So I came up from a place where people... Uh, had some real respect mm -hmm. for 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 my family right and so when you left the house you always represented your family yes and because we were pillars of the community we also had to behave as such and that's something that is it's like secular in that community we were respected and so so my upbringing I think was probably a lot different mm -hmm. than the experiences of most people mm -hmm. but I say this because Texas was a very unique place to grow up in the 90s. So we were, our governor was a woman and a Democrat. That was Ann Richards. Mm -hmm. um, you guys can look up Ann Richards. Her daughter was the president of Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. So that's the Texas that I grew up under. So she was the governor. And then my mayor in San Antonio, his name was Henry Cisneros. And he was a first-generation Mexican man, Republican. Mm -hmm. And so there was... Texas was thriving in the 90s. Basically, the whole country was really thriving. Right. Um, and I was, like I said, very politically engaged because the people around me were. Right. So my experience, it wasn't as if there was an awareness that things happened that were, my life was different than other people's. Right. It definitely wasn't. And I, and I recognize that. And I advocate for people who definitely have had a different life and a different upbringing who have had different experiences. Right. While my upbringing sounds very charmed. I also experienced a ton of adversity. And so it makes me more empathetic and sympathetic to people who mm -hmm. experience things as well. Mm -hmm. um, but my family was a family of professionals and also a family of advocates. 
Right. And so that's where I get that from. Right. So um, speaking of that, when you were a kid, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? When I grew up? Well, I actually just saw my senior book because it was my birthday and my my uh, really good childhood friend. We have the same birthday and we were going through all of our, our just notes. And in my senior book, I actually wrote down some things that have come to fruition. So I said that I wanted to work in TV and film. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, today am a celebrity makeup artist. Yes. Um, and so to me, I'm just like, wow, I couldn't believe that I had that much foresight on what it was that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then I wonder how many more uh, turns will my life take so that I can achieve the rest of the goals that 17 year old me, yes. um, you know, for. wanted to achieve. Yeah. Totally. And, and so I wanted to work in production. I wanted to work behind the scenes. And that is where I landed. Did you always want to do that? Like even when you were um, younger, before 17, like when you're in, let's say, middle school, did you always want to do film and production, do you think? I liked the inner workings of a script and mm-hmm. of, of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I liked watching movies. And I would watch with a different eye. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just being entertained. I was curious about the things that happened in order to get that that stuff on screen, right? Yes. I didn't know what it was, but like what took place in order for this to happen? Yes. So I knew right now in this culture where we are, people sort of have this peripheral um, uh, knowledge about production. Yeah. That's because it's so accessible, right? Right. At the time, no. I'm so impressed, honestly, time. that you knew that as a child. I just now will watch like My Fair Lady and realize, oh, that's just Styrofoam Girl. At the time... It may as well have been in London, England. You know, it was all so real. So I'm so impressed that as a child, you could see like, wait, there's something going, like that isn't real. Like what's going on to make that happen? There, There's just more to the story. And I didn't feel like it wasn't real. I just felt like there were, there were people who were making something happen. And mm. how, how was that happening? So I watched a lot of documentaries and I had a teacher. There's always a teacher, right? I had a teacher who introduced me to film and sort of broke it down. Mm-hmm. And while all the other kids in the cat class were kind of sleeping and doing whatever they were doing, um, I was I was watching and I was I was paying attention. I was curious. Yes. Um, and I lived in a household where my curiosity was able to and was encouraged to thrive. Yes. That's awesome. Okay, so sort of always knew that you wanted to work in film and production, which is to me very incredible that you sort of just always had your eye on the prize for such a long time. But I guess maybe you knew what you wanted out of life, but didn't necessarily know how you were going to get there. Would that be fair to say? That is 100% accurate. So then um, when you graduated high school, what were your next steps? The next steps I took, so I, I went to college in Houston and I realized that college like life was not necessarily for me. I was sort of the Kanye West, like the, the college dropout. I worked and I went to school. My grades were my grades were probably better than they were in high school, actually. But I just didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. I just I'd rather work. And I felt like, OK, I can either spend a whole lot of money in school or I can go do something else. So I became a flight attendant and so yeah I worked for this took a few years of me just kind of popping around and not being in school and working and things so I started working in in reservations for a major air carrier and I got to travel and I took my sister a couple places and we got into all kind of mischief 
me being, I think, what, 18 or 19 and taking my 16, 17-year-old sister around the country. Like, I'm surprised that we were allowed to do that. But yes. We were. <laughs> I brought my sister here to New York. Um, it, that, to me, was wild that that happened. But we came to New York, um, and we went to MTV when it was on Broadway. So we went to TRL. Right. <laughs> so that, that goes to show you, like, my maturity level. I was able to fly around the country but we went to trl right like any other 19 year old also like give yourself credit like what 19 year old isn't going to be like all right let me go see carson what's going on over yeah. there right <laughs> and, Allah and all that the whole crew so we what did we do so i realized okay i don't want to be in school but i want i'm again curiosity is like flourishing right mm-hmm. and it, it, allowing it to thrive and so i thought well let me get a job where I have some level of responsibility, but also I have um, I have responsibility, but but I it's not your traditional job, so I can experience things, mm-hmm. which is exactly what I did. I experienced things uh, as a flight attendant, and that really changed my outlook on life, on work. Changed my I always had a strong work ethic, but it changed it because when you're a flight attendant, you're responsible for people's lives. But you're also responsible for yourself in every way. You don't have a boss like hanging over you. You have work to do. And it's all about time management and accountability and just being responsible. And then going on a layover and knowing that you can't lay party all night. You have to go to sleep so that you can be up for that flight in the morning. Yes. So I learned a lot about myself and how to sort of run a business totally because I'm sort of my own boss and sort of my own business for for many years at such a young age to have so much responsibility is well to recognize it right because it's one thing to become 18 and be like okay I'm gonna have this job and then either you're not very good at it or you lose that job or something because of all the understandable things that can happen when you're 18 but for you to have the job to recognize in yourself like okay these are the things that it's gonna take for me to be able to keep this and to grow is very very (laughs) impressive I suppose it's such a young age to see that within yourself and to take on that responsibility is is huge. I mean, I think looking back, I definitely seem very responsible and very much like I was forward thinking and and I I was not necessarily. I did things sort of at a whim, mm-hmm. but it was like a, maybe a calculated whim if that makes sense. It's like Perfect sense. I don't want to go to school, but I need a job, but I need a job that's not going to suck. So let me do this. So that's sort of what I did. Yeah. But it it sort so far has led me in the right directions and now as as a more mature adult, I make different calculated decisions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> more calculated. So how long were you a flight attendant? I worked uh, as a flight attendant for just under 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was interesting because I, um, so I started in 2000. Mm-hmm. I was exactly 20 years old. I wasn't even old enough to drink with my coworkers. They would sneak me in the bar during our training. I would come in through the kitchen and it was wild times. And then 9-11 happened. And so the airline changed a lot. So I had been flying for a, one year, one month, and 11 days, something mm-hmm. like that. And 9-11 happened, and it just totally changed the business, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, another reason why I have very, very strong feelings about the airlines and the bailouts. Mm-hmm. And- well, how did that affect you personally as a kid, essentially, seeing like the 
this huge thing, but it was impacted you specifically. We all felt 9-11, but for you to say, okay, I've got to go back to work, which kind of maybe I'm being selfish because right now I'm feeling a little like I've got to go back to work and I'm nervous to even touch people. How did yeah. you kind of like get the resilience, the strength, the conviction to keep going forward? Going back to work was scary, but I got laid off. I worked for three years after 9-11 and I, so we got furloughed in 2003, but I used that time very wisely. So I'll tell you about that, but getting the conviction to just go back to work. Um, I think when you're younger, you just have a different feeling about mortality. Mm-hmm. And I was actually my, it was my airline that was impacted and it was a flight that I did regularly. That oh my was, God. Yeah, that was one of the ones that that was that was hijacked, and so I knew people who were killed that day. Yes, and so that was that was really hard. But when you're younger, I think you have a different level and feeling about mortality, and I think you have maybe a different fearless resilience. And I was 20; I wasn't married; I didn't have kids. Mm-hmm. My friends were all there, and they were all going back. There was different security that was implemented. We knew where there was. I guess everyone knows now that there were air marshals on the plane. We we knew that. And for a long time, there were no passengers on the plane. So it was Mm -hmm. almost like, oh, this is great because now I'm working and we're going places and like nobody's on the plane. So I can sit here and watch this movie. I remember uh, one Thanksgiving, it was so, the flight was so empty that I was working. We took everybody from coach and just put them in business. Oh, wow. So that we could monitor everyone that was on the flight. Right. And we just served everything and they had unlimited stuff. It's probably the best experience they ever had in their lives, but it was yes. the easiest flight that I ever did. And so when uh, I was able to like use my buddy passes and take people places for those few years before flying became like this, like the drudgery that it is now, because it wasn't. Right. It, it was not. In the past 20 years is, is what has happened because flying used to be glamorous. Mm-hmm. Flying used to be fun. Like, I remember I was making steaks and um, Caesar salad in first class. Like, we wow. were serving lobster tails. Wow. Um, <laughs> oh, for real. So, and now it's like, no way. Nothing, nothing even close to what we did back then. And so, so it was, it, it was a different lifestyle. But what I did when I got laid off, I saw it coming. And, you know, that's part of like reading and paying attention, being a little bit, using your intuition. Yeah. Uh, tapping into that. I saw it coming and I said, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I want to be a makeup artist. Now, what was interesting about that is that this, all occurred to me like a like a bolt of lightning that hit me i was sitting next to a passenger so being totally inappropriate and unprofessional but sitting (laughs) next to a passenger reading a magazine and i was like look at this makeup look at this lady's makeup like i can do this like she's got like her eyeliner is crooked and her inner corners are crooked and this person is looking at me like why are you sitting next to the magazine but second of all who are you to say you could do something better than somebody that's actually on a magazine cover? Totally, right? yeah. But I was like, no, really, like in my mind, I was ready. Yes. And so I did it. And I took a couple of makeup classes, which is not necessarily the path that you need to go on, but that's what I did to see if, if I had any skill or competence in it. And I did. I was really good at it. And then I went to Mac. MAC Cosmetics at the very, very height of MAC. Mm -hmm. So it was right after they'd been acquired by Estee Lauder. They were opening all these new stores. So I opened uh, one of the stores in Austin Mm -hmm. because I thought, I'll go back home where my family is. Like, if I get laid off, I'll go close to home where my family is. 
So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go sort of back home. I'll go where there's a network of people, but I still got to have my own plates because I can't go back home home. So I, um, that's what I did. I turned myself into a makeup artist. Like it happened like the flip of a pancake. Yes. Like I was a flight attendant and now I'm a makeup artist. That's awesome. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And that's the, that's where I was ever since. And so what I did was, um, we got, eventually we got called back to work. I had been promoted. I opened, um, Mac at the, um, forum shops and Caesars in Las Vegas. So that took me back to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So that was like a third full circle moment back home where I again had this really great work ethic in this party city and every job that came to me, I was able to get up early in the morning, be there, not be hung over like mm-hmm. my, you know, Vegas party people. Mm-hmm. And, um, that right there allowed me to thrive in that environment. So that work ethic that I had um, learned from from being a flight attendant is what I took with me into being a responsible makeup artist. And that has been part of what carried me. It's being good, but also being responsible. environment where they're like there are no rules there's yeah. no rules to get in the door yeah. you know it's always about who you know or what you know mm-hmm. uh, obviously part of it is talent but a lot of it in life you'll find is just like who you know yeah so it's an environment with no rules right I went from something that was very structured and unionized and very much a place where you know safety was always being considered to a place where like you know, you can get drunk in the trailer or you can sleep on set. Like, it's a completely different animal. Totally. And um, you're basically, I mean, you're, you're, you definitely are your own boss, but you're very entrepreneurial also, right? And that you were saying going and finding your next job on your own, um, building your own brand, I would imagine. Just like holding yourself accountable because nobody else is going to hold you accountable. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like that's part of what was instilled in me as a kid. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going out into the world and you're representing us, you're representing yourself. But what do you want? What do you what do you want to get out of it? And so later on, I guess we're sort of getting to the part where I decided that I wanted to create my own product. And I'll say this is because any makeup artist, hairstylist, any person, barber who is in the service industry knows that if you can't stand up and if you can't move then you can't make any money. Yes. And I was getting to the point where I was being double booked and I was being asked to work, um, you know, um, I was being, I I was just being spread too thin. Yes. Plus, I was still working as a flight attendant. Oh, wow. The reason that I did that was because I I wanted to straddle two fences. I didn't know if the makeup thing was going to work, right? Yes, yeah. So I made sure that while I was kind of figuring it out and developing this career that I had a bit of a safety net. Totally. Yes. And then at one point I just threw caution to the wind and like just dove headfirst into being a makeup artist and it worked. It, it, I was successful in that space. How did you learn, actually learn the ins and outs of the artistry behind being a makeup artist? Did you learn everything at Mac or did you, were you self-taught from the internet or how did you uh, navigate those waters? 
Well, here's the funny story. When I was uh, seven, <laughs> that was the first time I ever did makeup because I was a witch in a school play. And I had to do my own makeup. And I remembered, like, okay, like, what does the Wicked Witch look like? How can I make myself look like a witch but not be scary? And I did my own makeup just mm-hmm. as a little kid. Mm-hmm. So that was my introduction. And I'd also always paid attention to makeup mm-hmm. throughout the years. Mind you, I was growing up during the 80s and 90s. So before there was like the yuppie era, there was Boy George. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people wearing a lot, a lot of makeup. You know, there was like Cher and there's, I'm trying to think who else. There was Grace Jones and there were just people that I was able to see like, Oprah wore a ton of makeup. Mm-hmm. I imagine just Texas also, just seeing... Just seeing it. Just seeing it. Yeah. I had the opportunity to, to play and to use it and to explore. And then I went to college and I color theory was part of my major. So I understood ah, that. Okay. Not my major, but a, a course, like part of what I was studying. And so I understood color theory, but Mac really gave me the education. Because when you're doing a celebrities makeup or a model's makeup the reason that they're a celebrity or they're a model is because their skin their bone structure is very symmetrical and their skin's very clear so it's very very easy and to work with right Mm -hmm. to to manipulate but when you're working with the everyday person you are sometimes challenged you're sometimes you have to be creative you they want to look a certain way but they're not familiar with what the makeup looks like yes mac mac was very different makeup brand you know again it's also not what it was today beauty has definitely changed and so it was the place that everybody who could never find makeup went Mm -hmm. so i got a an education beyond education by working at mac Mm -hmm. then it was also before people like contoured and wore a lot of makeup they Mm -hmm. they all wore um you know they all wore like i don't know estee lauder and clinique and they put their makeup on with those little sponges Mm -hmm. yeah sponge wands, but now there are brushes. So teaching people how to do their makeup was also a great education for me. So interesting. I love it. Okay. <laughs> I can ask you so many other questions on that, but <laughs> we'll continue forward. So, um, okay. So now you are, you're living in both worlds. You're flight attendant. You're also working and opening up the store in Vegas. And then you said you went full force into makeup. You quit your job as a flight attendant or left your job as a flight attendant, right? Yes, I did. I I left my job as a flight attendant. And the first job that I had outside of me being a flight attendant was working on a Disney production in none other than New Orleans. Okay. So I went from Austin to Vegas and then to New Orleans. So it was like party town, party town, party town. Yes. (laughs) But I was still able to just get it done. Yeah. And one of the uh, directors that I worked with was like, where do you live? I'm like, I'm in New York, but I'm just here for this movie, this production. And he's like, when you get back to New York, let me know, because I have another job coming. But unfortunately, I ended up not being able to do it because I was in the union and there were all these different hurdles that I had to climb. But I applied to be a part of the Makeup Artist Union. And because I'd worked on all these different productions, they were like, you are an asset and we support yeah. You know, here's your membership. Awesome. And I was really I was really nervous, but I had a, my book. I was very organized. I had presentations. 
And they were like, yeah, we want somebody like you on our team. What's the union like? I don't know much about unionizing, especially like in the creative industry, but I'm an esthetician is totally different. So will you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so the union is um, not necessarily, I think there's a misconception with it where it's like a workforce and it, it, you you apply and then you get into the union and then you get a job or you just work on TV. That's not necessarily it. The union is designed to really protect you, ensure that you have health care, uh, ensure your hours, ensure that, you know, you're not like abused by production. And when I say abused, I don't mean like, you know, like physically abused while, you know, we know that sexual harassment definitely exists in the, in the entertainment industry. Um, they're making sure that your hourly wages are protected every minute, second that you are at work. They're making sure that uh, you are in um appropriate, healthy, stable working conditions. You mentioned you came back to New York and the gentleman had... Oh, the director. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I had come back to New York and and I wasn't able to get the job because I wasn't in the union. And sometimes people will really fight for you and make sure you get the job. It just wasn't, it wasn't like that big of a job. So there wasn't a fight, but it, it made me value the experience so much more, right? Because I tried to get in, I applied and, um, and I made it, mm -hmm. I made it through, made yeah. the cut. And, and then again, that's like all an interview process, but it's based on your work ethic and your abilities. And I was a union member uh, for the airline. So they really understood like, okay, this, this, this girl gets unions. She's yes. like, that's probably not why I got in, but they, they definitely asked me the question of, of, was I familiar with a union? This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. And you know, so much I, I think, I mean, I'm in my 30s now, so it's not like I'm an older person. But as you go through life, you just see how each job leads to your next job each person you meet if you do a good job will lead to the next person that you meet will open the next door that you open and so it's just continuing doing a great job your work ethic as you mentioned and who knows if they called your union rep from the other i'm sure they didn't but like they probably could have you know i'm just saying in general like they'd have nothing but shining things to say about you right whereas you know maybe <laughs> probably not probably not you know i mean like if i'm just honest like i told the story about me sitting next to a passenger reading a magazine i was a kid doing a job that i didn't really want to do so right i right. mean i always like these days i definitely try to give people grace because i i will go somewhere and i'm like this person doesn't like their job yes but i didn't like mine either so yeah no i know what that's like I think we probably all know what that's like to work in a place where you just need you need to collect a paycheck, you know? Definitely get that. Okay, so you're now you're in the union. You're living the dream that you set out for yourself way back when you were 17. Yeah. And now that you're in the union, are you starting to work more in um, editorial and in terms of... Well, no, but you're all, you were already doing that. Is it just maybe a little bit easier for you now to get these jobs? No, no. Um, I was, I had done like editorial, um, but union is more production. So it's, it's more like your TV shows and your movies and oh, some okay. commercial. And so I made it into the union and I went like really hard. I went on the list and I 
messaged everyone like, hey, I'm here. This is what I've done. Let me know when you need people. Mm-hmm. So I, like one of my first movies was really weird, like most first movies are. <laughs> but I did a good job. Again, you know, that's all about your reputation and your work ethic. And people started calling me and referring me. And before I knew it again, I was booked solid all the time. And then this was around like 2008. So that was like a recession that was hitting. Mm-hmm. So a lot of production slowed. They slowed down. And um, see, I, I hadn't quit yet. So I didn't quit America. I didn't, I didn't quit flying until 2010. So I did, I was a makeup artist in the union for about two years. And then I got book solid and I was getting in trouble because I was like falling in for my flights and stuff. And I felt like, oh, I know that I'm doing well because I don't actually care that I'm missing this job. Like it means nothing to me. And it's kind of a joke that I'm calling in sick, you know? So, so I quit. Yeah. Um, I remember one of my colleagues said to me, um, he said, you are just so stupid. And I said, why? <laughs> he goes, everybody wants to be a flight attendant. This is the best job in the world. And I was like, you don't know what I'm doing when I'm not here. Yes, clearly. Right. I'm like, uh, I'm actually living the freaking high life. But okay, say what you want. Yes. And, you know, I, it made me think that you have to make changes for yourself. Yes. You can't listen to people who have this idea of what life and security is like or what happiness is like because they'll stop you from doing the things that um, allow you to grow Mm -hmm. and allow you to evolve and become the person who you are. You know, if I'd been sitting at American Airlines today, I would still, I would, I would not be the person that I am today. Totally. Um, Yes. And I mean, it's just so, everybody's so different and one man's junk is another man's treasure is so true for so many reasons because that could have been the best job in the world for that guy. He ain't you. (laughs) No, and you know, and and I still, my flight attendant friends, I have known them now. Uh, This year in August will be 20 years and I can't even believe it. And we're all still friends. Yep. We're all still friends and so I made some fabulous relationship there I have some long-term friends um, that I can pick up the phone and we all talk to each other but you know everything is not for everybody and you have to be fearless uh, with your life yes you know you can't live it for somebody else and you can't necessarily live it because it's like comfortable yes all right so let's talk about getting uncomfortable Yeah, definitely. What was your next phase then? So now you're working, living the dream, it kind of sounds like, whether you knew it or not, because you always knew that you wanted to work in production. Did you, when you were doing that, did you realize like, oh, this is what it was, like this is what I was meant to do? I worked on two different Disney productions down in New Orleans, but when I worked on the TV show, I walked in and I remember standing there with my set bag and nobody was there, was there early. First, I don't know why I was the first one on set, but I was. And um, I just looked around and I remember seeing the lights hanging and the cords and the camera was set up and all of these things, just like Apple boxes and, and just all sorts of equipment. Everything that you see backstage or what you would picture is what I saw. And I was like, oh my God, I did it. I actually did it. Yes. And I I mean, even to this day, I I feel it, I see it, I remember very clearly, very vividly what that was like. And so, um, again, you just, I just have to say, you have to just do it. Yeah. You have to do it. But what, you said, hitting uncomfortable. How uncomfortable do we want to get? Like, what's the next 
like what's next? Well, I mean, the reason that you're here, as much as I love hearing about your music, or your music, excuse me, your makeup, the reason that you're here is because you're a bomb entrepreneur who took a product that was faulty and made and perfected it, really, for the new world, which is pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> Definitely uncomfortable. Yeah. So I, I was, um, what was I doing? So I was, uh, I was flying. I was actually going on a vacation this time, and I was traveling internationally from Australia to Dubai and then on to New York, and I bought these makeup wipes um, for my travel specifically, and they were kind of pricey. And when I reached into my bag, they were dry, like bone dry. They might as well have been sandpaper. Mm -hmm. And so I, it, it was complete dismay. I'm like, what am I going to do? There's two people next to me. They're totally asleep. I'm perched in this window seat. It's really hot. What am I going to do? And instead of panicking, I pulled out my notebook and I was like, this is what you're going to do. You are going to create the next makeup wipe that is functional that is a better quality, that has a better formula, that has more inventive, innovative, um, bi like eco-friendly packaging. Mm -hmm. Because what I realized in that moment was I wasted my money, but these products are going in the trash. So what happens to them after they're in the trash? And so um, I got home and because I was jet lagged and I was so like pumped, like literally, like that's the word. That's all I can think. My heart was pumping. Like everything was just pumped up. Uh huh. I um, I'm like, yeah, I have to, I have to do this. Like, yes. this is what is next? And it speaks to what I was saying earlier: is that if you are a person who is in the service industry and you use your hands, not that makeup and hair is not necessarily the service, but no, I, I know what you mean. But yeah, so you're standing there and you are required to be there to make that money. I didn't want to do that because I was also encountering like these bitter people that I worked with that were a little bit older and um, they just were grumpy. They didn't yes. want to be where they were. That was That's what I experienced as a flight attendant. And even as a makeup artist, the joy that I was experiencing, these people were over it. They'd been right. doing it for 20 years. Yes. So I thought, okay, I got to find a way to make some money when I'm not standing in front of a an actor yes so so that combination of that desire plus the desire to fix this cosmetic problem right that is what drove me you were already looking for the next thing you just didn't really know what that thing would be and so when it sounds like when everything kind of came together it was like um, like an eruption like your body was just like bitch this is it let's go this is it let's yeah. do it yeah and like you know if you're listening and you're a beauty person, you know that the beauty industry is very saturated. There's mm -hmm. eyeshadow palettes with all the same eyeshadow colors. There's like a bazillion pink lipsticks or there's a NARS orgasm blush and then there is a blush that is trying to replicate that color through every makeup line. Yes. Um, and so I was like, I don't want to go into color because it's saturated and I just don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. What I would do is something that's more skincare focused because I like skin. I'm a minimalist. I like function. Mm -hmm. And being able to use my experience as a makeup artist, um, having touched so many faces and having this knowledge of what you need a product to do, mm -hmm. and also being a person who appreciates function, who's always on the go, I felt like that was what I needed to create. So mm -hmm. I found a point of difference. Yes. And I ran with it and I think that's part of creating something that is going to be successful and having a point of view mm -hmm. because everybody can have a body butter 
Mm-hmm. And I want to say that to all of the entrepreneurs that are out there because I know a lot of people that do body butters. Mm-hmm. And that's all good. But what's the difference between yours and the next one? 100%. And, and you've got to be able to answer that. And it's funny because, like, I talk to investors now and they ask me the same thing. Well, what's the difference between your wife and, you know, other makeup wipes? And I have a, an answer for them. Yeah. Yeah, you 100%. Know, you have to be able to have an answer. Well, and that's innovation, right? There's a huge difference between innovation and invention. And, you know, um, Steve Jobs didn't invent the phone, right? He innovated on a product that was already there and made it great. And I would say that that's exactly what you did. You didn't invent a makeup wipe. You invented a better version of a makeup wipe for today's for what today's people need. And you kind of used yourself as your... Like you're her, right? Like you're the person that you're making the product for. I guess like the invisible consumer was you. (laughs) It's like kind of perfect when you're just like, oh my God, I'm this girl. I know that I need this. I'm a professional. I'm somebody who's actually doing all of this. And so I see the need. I see there's definitely a market. I'm pretty much validating my own idea as we're speaking about it. Let's go. It's perfect. It's kind of genius. So I was able to do that. And um, then... Other people validated it by buying it. Totally. <laughs> no, totally. And now it's like in 20 countries around the world. So yes. It's doing well. So I would love to speak with you about the moment that you conceptualized it, the subset it took to you, for you to get to the product that we see today. Because it's very easy to just think like, oh my God, she's a genius. And then that just happens. But you and I both know that there's so many steps in between idea and um, product. And that's why you're here today and whoever else is sitting at home thinking, well, I have that same idea. That's why they're better do it. (laughs) You better jump on it if you have that idea. Exactly. So do you mind just, um, you don't even have to go into too, too much detail, but I guess what was the first step for you once you had this idea? Where did you go from there? So the first place that I went when it came, when the idea popped in my head, like literally you guys, I was jet lagged. And so I don't know if you've ever been anywhere with a 13-hour time difference, but you're just up when everybody else is asleep. So I took that time, and I spent hours and hours and hours on, like, Google University. And it sounds very elementary and almost condescending, but that's what I did. Um, The information is there. You just got to dig deep for Mm -hmm. it. And so I'm like, okay, so I worked backwards, right? Um, deconstructing my idea. So I knew that I wanted to make a makeup wipe, right? So what are the things that you do? Okay, well, who makes makeup wipes? Where do they make them? How are they made? Um, What's the process? Do you need a fragrance? Do you need a chemical? Do you need this? And then I started to do more market research with other makeup wipes and other makeup brands. And then I started to test those makeup wipes with products that I already had mm-hmm. products that I thought were difficult to remove. So I, I, I did a lot of that writing, taking notes. And once I did that, I reached out to some of the white manufacturers and I just kind of went from there. Okay. I opened a FedEx account. Here's how I really started guys. And I'll say this, don't be afraid. It sounds like I was like working and I was like balling. I, I was just like everybody else. I was working my ass off and living like probably above my means, so I didn't have a ton of extra money. But I used my tax refund and my American Express because I had the one thing that I was doing right was working on my credit. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so I had good credit, mm-hmm. and I had uh, my tax refund. And mm-hmm. so because I had done all this research, I was really prepared to like start making 
payments and putting deposits down and other things I want to say, don't be afraid. It doesn't, it's not going to cost you like 20, 30, 40, $50,000 to start a business. Mm-hmm. You can start a business where the, where you need the money is when you need to run the business later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so keep that in mind. But yeah, so I took my tax refund in my American Express with all of the knowledge that I got from Google and all of the, you know, people that I'd contacted and I started paying deposits and I started getting samples. Um, I took my samples to work because I was still working as a makeup artist and I used the samples white label so I didn't get in trouble because I had a boss who was a real asshole and he um, he was very uh, insecure and he's one of those people that doesn't like want people to thrive around them. Right. Um, and so, and everything was intimidating. You bring in a new product, he's like, you know, there's a problem. Right. If he doesn't know about it, then it's not good. So. So I made sure that like my name wasn't on anything, my packaging, none of that stuff. That's very smart also. Like I'm very big on keeping your, like being very sacred with your ideas. It's exactly what you're saying. So many people are so fearful that they hear whatever it is that you're doing and they internalize that and they'll say something terrible to you because it's their own fear speaking. And it's so easy to crush a dream when it's brand new. Not saying that you, obviously, like you had conviction, girl. <laughs> like, but yeah, like, there, there are people who are out there that will crush a dream, but there are also people who feel like they have to be sacred and, and um, not necessarily share their ideas. I'm protective, but it just depends on who it is. Yeah. Because you might tell somebody you're doing something and they're like, oh, I have like $500,000. Let me give exactly. you that. Yep. That's the other side. Like, that did not happen to me. <laughs> I'd be so fortunate if it did. It didn't. But that could happen totally. because it has happened to people. But there's also the people who um, who will be supportive of your endeavors and try to open a door for you. And people are also like very, um, very secretive about their projects because they feel like somebody's going to steal their idea. But the difference is you came up with it and you know why, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And you know why you did. And so that is the magic that you need to make something successful. Like I'll give you a, an example. If you go online and you look up Neutrogena, they have individually packaged makeup wipes and packaging that's almost identical to mine. Mm. Neutrogena is like a multi billion dollar company around the globe. Mm -hmm. While I am reaching Neutrogena's level, my customer values me Mm -hmm. and they value my point of view. Mm -hmm. They value what my product brings to the table. And so I will continue to grow. Yes. I will continue to grow and I'll grow without a Neutrogena's customer because our customers are different. Just like there's different vehicles on the road, just like there's different bread in the bread aisle. Mm-hmm. It's all bread, it's all cars, but they're all different and everything speaks to somebody. So yes. don't be afraid. Just don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. So you're taking your, sorry, you're validating your product because you're taking out your tests um, on set with you, keeping it away from your boss because he's the worst. And um, as you're trying the product, how's it going? It's going great. Everybody who's using it loves it. I'm using it guys. I'm using it on girls. Um, I'm using it for special effects. I'm using it for just like your end of the night, take your makeup off. And um, and it was working. Mm-hmm. It was working and it was very effective. And then I finally got the packaging and it was great. It was like, okay, now I can present it to the world. And I did. And I Actually, it's funny that we brought up my boss because I presented it at this makeup event, and he was actually there and sent his wife over to look and observe, uh-huh. but didn't come over himself, and then basically kind of like fired me after that. Oh, he was, he was a hater. 
Yeah, uh, that sounds awful. Here. I thought he was trying to be like, all right, girl, I see you, but I'm not trying to, you know, crowd. No, no he's just the worst. Oh, the worst. Uh, the worst. Um, that's, like very- that makes you stronger, though. Thanks also for telling that story, because of course you're going to meet people like that that just don't want you to succeed for whatever personal vendetta that they have against themselves or against you or what have you. Against themselves or whatever. And this is a person who's like obviously like an empty person. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you are not an empty person, when you are a person who's like fulfilled, mm-hmm. you don't behave that way. And and what you have to do is not internalize that. That is not about you. That's about the other person. And yes. You can't let that other person stop you. And so I continue, you know, I persevered and because I was so, again, well liked around my job by everybody except my boss, um, <laughs> I was able to thrive in other ways. And, and so I continue to do that. And that almost brings us to like where we are now. Yeah. So now you've got three products though. Yeah. So I, I launched Cleanse. That was the first product. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the one that um, basically was like the lightning bulb moment that I had on the flight. And then... I thought, okay, so this is one that's working for all skin types, but now maybe let me narrow down and mm-hmm. start focusing on more skin. So I decided to do Blunt next because my skin is dry and it's also um, has some anti-aging properties. And I mean, I'm a grown woman, mm-hmm. so I wanted to make sure <laughs> it was being like, you know, nourished while I was, um, while I'm like moving and shaking all around. Uh, and so then the third product is La Rose, which is a rose water infused makeup for river wipe, and it is um, suited for acne prone and oily skin. Mm-hmm. It's got beautiful rose water infusion, and then Flaunt has a noni vitamin K extract, which helps to. Um, helps to improve your cell turnover. So we had a listener submit a question recently that was what is uh, the difference between makeup remover and a cleanser? And mm-hmm. while we were recording yesterday, I was going to answer it and then I thought, well, I've got somebody who makes these products coming on the show tomorrow. So I should yeah. just save it to ask you since you have kind of both products, right? It's a two in one, right? So it's a facial cleansing wipe. It also removes your makeup. And the, one of the differences between Laura Napier Beauty products and or the wipe collection and other makeup wipes is that this product was designed to cleanse, nourish, and hydrate. Mm-hmm. So really the difference is the ingredients. Um, Laura Napier Beauty products are made with water. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have an aloe, cucumber, chamomile base. So that's going to, and then our, um, the actual formula that basically dissolves or break down, breaks down the, the makeup is a coconut derivative. Mm. And so um, it doesn't smell like coconut. It doesn't feel oily, but it helps to remove the makeup from your skin. Or I should say it removes makeup, pollution, perspiration, and sunscreen from mm. your skin. And it does that without stripping the skin because of the ingredients and then also the, the water. Also, the fabric is a biodegradable, stretchable fabric. And it is embossed, meaning it's woven in a certain texture so that it doesn't scrape or drag across the skin. It's malleable and it moves with the skin so it removes makeup and all of the other impurities that kind of adhere to your face throughout the day. So that's a difference. Yes. (laughs) Well, one thing that I'm just going to interject my own little personal love affair with your wipe in is that I'm a, a permanent makeup artist also so I do microbleeding and permanent makeup for the eyebrows and to get that pigment off when you're in the middle of a session and you're wiping away pigment implanting more pigment and wiping it away 
I had used so many different products and it was such a mess and you go through so many wipes, so, so, so many. I, that's what, honestly why I loved using your product. One is each pack, each one was individually wrapped. So when I'm doing things and I can't cross contaminate and I can't touch things once my gloves are on, that's absolutely perfect because I'm using a wipe and using it, using it, using it. Once it's done, I throw it away. I pull up another one and it's already not contaminated. It's perfect. Um, it took away every inch of that pigment and the pigment is meant to stay in your skin, obviously. So what wasn't in the skin, what was sitting on top, I was just so impressed by how cleanly it took everything away. And then I'm working on open skin and nobody was ever irritated. It was never turned red. It was never anything. And I would send every client home with it afterwards. It's like, you're going to use this for the next day just to keep everything super fresh. It's an incredible product. It's super, super beautiful. So if it can get off a... Uh, microblading pigment girl it makes me so happy to to hear that and to know that and um people use it and they love it and they're not always able to explain to me why they love it and that is the greatest explanation i think i've heard oh thank you oh you're so welcome it's the thank truth you. it really is the only reason i just stopped my subscription is because i was literally handing it out to everyone and my accountant was like girl if you're not selling these, you gotta stop buying $50 worth and just giving them away. <laughs> We're gonna have to work on that. Okay. You really Call me it. after. <laughs> we'll have to have a totally different conversation. Yeah, we'll talk about it afterwards, but it's an incredible product that I completely stand behind, which is why I was really excited to speak with you today. Thank you so much. It's an honor, man. Absolutely. Honor. Will you tell us where we can find your incredible products? Because they're sold everywhere worldwide. They're kind of sold in a, in a many places. So you can, if you're in the U.S., you can shop Lauren Napier uh, Beauty at laurennapier.com. You can also shop on Revolve. And if you are international, you can shop on netaporter.com. Mm -hmm. Super easy. Yes. This segment, I think, would be kind of fun for us to do together. And it's called, I didn't know then, but I'm older now. Oh, I love that. Right? <laughs> so yeah. just different, like, life mistakes, relationship, makeup, whatever mistakes, or things even that you swore were the shit, and now you just know better in your older life, if you could share okay. something with us. <laughs> All right. I didn't know then. Okay, I didn't know then, but I'm older now, beauty. Monochromatic makeup is not it. When I was working for MAC, I remember it was like green eyeshadow, green eyeliner, green, and then you would have like some sort of either pink or coral cheek, and then you'd have a pink or coral lip, and then you'd have a pink and coral nail, something like that is not it. <laughs> I didn't know then. I didn't know then, but I know now that like less is always more. Mm -hmm. Whether that's like say less. Say less is, is like the one that I really learned. Say less. Just shut up. That is a lesson I had to learn too, girl. Say less. Man advice, like relationship advice is really interesting. I, I feel like that's a that's a tough one. Like where do you want to go with that? I'll, uh, what I will say is right now we're in quarantine and I feel like everything is like a life or death uh, like literally, like it's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. It's either you're going to do it and you're going to be a hundred percent safe or you're leaving space for the germs to come in, right. you know, or it's all or nothing. And so I'm listening to my friends and we're all having conversations. And it's like, one thing I know for sure 
is that if someone cares about you, you know it. Yes. And if someone is trying to like date you in the middle of this, you know whether they have their your best interest at heart. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I know for sure. It's very clear. Yes. There's no reason to like vacillate and go back and forth, back and forth. It's like it is or it isn't. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't, don't make excuses for it. Yes. Amen. I have to say my daddy gave me that same advice about yeah. 15 years ago and it's true. It's true. They'll make time. They will do the things that need to be done. Yes. Thank you so, so much for blessing us today with your time and with your beautiful story. I had an incredible time speaking with you. I appreciate it. That's it. You're a goddamn rock star. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I'm so excited to be on. Thank you. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that. Let us know what you thought. Lauren is incredible because she has the mind of an entrepreneur, even though she started out as a makeup artist. So even though she was tapped to create her own cosmetics line, she knew there had to be something very special in a product to really give it longevity because she's so smart. She knew. (laughs) She took something that women use and generally take for granted and she innovated the hell out of it. Totally. And you know, I've got to be honest, when she was talking about body butter, like honestly, that was one of the first products that I made for my, when I first started out in this industry was a little body butter and everybody loved it. And I remember giving it to a friend who was African and her mom was like, I don't understand what is so special about this. Like they sell this everywhere. And honestly, it was like such a moment for me because it was, I never wanted to hear that again. And to me, I knew that it was just a body butter because it was something I'd always used, but the few people that I was showing it to, to them, it was brand new. But I knew a hundred other people that made body butter. So anyway, I didn't really bring it up then, but I just thought that was such a really great tidbit of information is that you have to differentiate yourself because like, even if there are, even if you do want to make a body butter, just make it different and know what that difference is, know what your selling point is and all of that. Mm -hmm. So many great tidbits of advice. Uh, So, I mean, obviously you guys know Lauren took a product that was just okay. (laughs) She made it fucking amazing. And I love that she used, uh, made a multi-use face wipe that actually removes your makeup, cleans your skin. And there's so many options for different skin types. Honestly, um, I can appreciate it so much as an esthetician. I can also appreciate it just as a user. It sucks when there's just a one-size-fits-all model. We're all super different, and usually one-size-fits-all fits nobody. So um, she's just such a, a babe. She took us on her journey. I loved it. And I think that the meat of this interview was really the, as I said before, all of like the little nuggets of wisdom that she kept dropping on us. I think it's just filled with so much passion, but also, yeah, just that, just that little nuggets of wisdom that anybody can take with them if they're in life period, <laughs> but especially if they're on an entrepreneurial journey. For sure. So what does she talk to us about? She talks about believing in yourself, having a dream, working hard, showing up on time, Having grace, not being afraid to go for it. God, the girl's so inspiring. She's so uplifting. And it's like, it's something that, I don't know, I really needed to hear today. She really held up the legacy of the women in her family, too. Yes. Her grandma and mom just seemed really awesome. Mm -hmm. And like when she was talking about grandma, like you could just totally see, just looking at Lauren, she's so much grace and beauty. It was obvious that grandma, yes. like it had to come from I imagine somewhere. when her grandma was young, she looked just like her. Exactly right? like her. Yes, totally. Yeah. yeah, I think that Lauren was awesome. I hope that you guys did too. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, give us your feedback. What else? Oh, also, if you're interested in 
purchasing anything from Lauren Napier Beauty, you can visit her website. LaurenNapierBeauty.com. Perfect. If you're in the States, if you're international, uh, Netta Porter. Goddamn. Netta Porter, like, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know this. This is some good shit. It's some good shit. <laughs> <laughs> in other news for us, Ooh, we... We have a lot going on. We've got a lot going on, yeah. yes. We just started a Patreon, mm-hmm. and the Patreon will be used mostly for virtual skincare consultations, but also just to keep our community going, to really keep it a community. And um, we have two different tiers for a Patreon. One, which is only $1 a month, you'll get a virtual skincare consult with us. And we will recommend, specifically we'll recommend products that we will also have up on our Shopify website that I somehow built myself. She did it and herself. I'm so proud. So impressed. <laughs> and um, just two lines that we really believe in. We don't want anyone to feel pressured to purchase stuff. We'll also work with whatever you have at home. Um, but if you do need to add stuff to your skin routine, these are the products that you want to be adding. Um, and then we have a second tier, which is $10 a month. And that will give you a virtual skincare consult once a month, which is pretty awesome. Yes. Pretty freaking awesome. Exactly. Um, and that's just it. I mean, everything is so crazy, as we said at the beginning. But aside with all that other craziness, you know, if you unfortunately lost your job if like money is just tight whatever we just really want to be there for you guys like especially right now I'll speak frankly I came here crying this morning and spent all day yesterday crying and it was like coming and talking with Alex and just laughing and just like being able to laugh about stupid shit it feels so good like (laughs) she said that we're the Howard Stern yeah (laughs) we're Howard and Robin here (laughs) Um, but I don't know if you guys no, but like Howard Stern for a lot of people after 9-11 was a, just like a really cool source of like kind of feeling good. Yeah. Uplifting. Yeah. Not saying that I, I think Howard Stern's also like a jackass in many ways. But yes, but I kind of I love that you compared <laughs> us to Howard Stern. <laughs> it made no sense until it made perfect sense. So I will take that comparison. And we got a Jew and a black girl just like mm-hmm. Howard. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we'll Howard, take it. <laughs> Long Island Jews. <laughs> So, yes, guys, we just want to laugh with you. Come be a part of our community. If you can't do that, I mean, we're going to be here for you each week regardless. So just keep showing up here. Another really, really exciting thing is that we had a little shout out in Goop last week. Mm -hmm. Last Thursday in an article called Zen and the Art of uh, Bikini Line Maintenance, which is a really fucking cute article title. But um, speaking of community, I have to shout this out because... Lauren touched on this, but I really know that so much of life and of like just building any type of community is working together. And this opportunity was brought to us from our girls at Fur because they are so fucking incredible. And Goop asked them if they had any estheticians that they knew that could, you know, give a little blurb. And they called on us. And that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the podcast and if it wasn't just for this beauty community that we're building and um totally i just got the chills a little right because it's true (laughs) it's it's really cool just to see like everything kind of play out in real time and especially dude like guys it's fucking crazy out there (laughs) it's so crazy and it's just such a time to come together and i don't know that's it (laughs) so come to us when you want to laugh but we will also talk about the shit going on because it's important to recognize it totally is and I also want to say one thing is that yesterday I reached out to Alex to talk about what we were doing this week and she said look I really need to reschedule our meeting on Tuesday because I have to go to this protest and it <laughs> I cried again <laughs> when she said that just so touched like oh my god 
she's going to protest. Because it's just such a, it's so, like I said, it isn't just about black and white, it's about racist versus non-racist. Mm -hmm. And it's such an incredible position to be in, to look around at my multicultural friends and just all of them stand up and just say, this is bullshit and we're gonna be the generation to say like, no more. Totally, and I feel also that we need to show the other racist assholes in our country that like, no, it's not just black people pro protesting. Yeah. So stop trying to like, continuing, you know, to want them to look bad. Yes. Yeah, totally. And also... There are many, many reasons, really. I mean, dudes, this is just... For so much bullshit that's out in the world, <laughs> there's a lot of love right in this little one-hour block each week. <laughs> yeah, a couple more things. Um, we finally have our Instagram really up and running, but we don't have a lot of followers because it's new, so please, it would be great for you to support us. Chew Beauty Brooklyn Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, it's super cute. Or you can just go join our other pod. No, don't join the other one. Only True Beauty Brooklyn yeah. Podcast. True That's Beauty Brooklyn it. Podcast. Please email us your stories or DM. I had a couple of girls reach out and say that they had some hilarious things to add to Dick Cup, but then the city erupted. So fair enough. But email yes. us your hilarious stories. I don't think there's a lot of Dick Cup kind of stuff out there. Yeah. So I think that really resonates with a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so um, email us. True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast at gmail.com. Your questions for um, Beauty School, which is coming up next week, we'll be back with that. Email us your hilarious stories, email us your milk with your dinners, especially now, dudes. We need to hear hilarious multicultural relationship stories. Please. Like, please. Please. <laughs> oh, rate and review us wherever rate. you are listening to us. Please, girls, don't be stingy with the hearts. Or the stars. And like only good ratings, please. Yes, that's what I mean by don't be stingy with, don't be stingy with the stars. Please rate and review us if you guys like listening. It's how other people are going to find us and how we can make it up in the charts, which evidently we made it into the top 200 beauty podcast charts at one point last month. Let's yeah, do it thank again. thank you. Thanks, dudes. Um, we also signed up for a Twitter. I don't totally understand what Twitter is, but I'm figuring it out. If anyone <laughs> wants to explain to me in layman's terms... <laughs> what Twitter's for. But actually this week I'm going to be watching a webinar. Yes. So I can teach myself. I'm dude. like an older millennial, so. All we're doing is teaching ourselves things. This whole, dude, we're just fucking jacks of all trades. Oh my gosh. My dad was so impressed that I made a Shopify. He should be. It's yeah. beautiful. He was like, oh, can you work on my my jobs website? And I was like, oh, <laughs> unless it's Shopify, which it isn't. <laughs> I, no, I cannot. All right, guys. The last thing is the studio is still closed, but we'll see you soon. I don't know when we're going to be open. Don't ask. <laughs> Just watch the news. When Cuomo or de Blasio says that we can open, that's when we're opening. So we'll see you soon. That's it. Yeah. We'll but be back next week. We'll be back next week. We love you guys. Have a great couple days. Yeah. Bye. Bye.